Would you join me in praying together right now? God, we thank you and we do praise you. We believe in you, but we don't just believe in you. We trust in you. We're going to put all of our confidence and trust in you because we're nothing without you. God, I come to you right now just saying, I've got nothing. I've got nothing in and of myself. But with you, I know all things are possible. So we trust you this morning, God, to do great things in our hearts and lives. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the focus on you. We don't need to focus on any of us, God. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray, God, that we would bring honor to you this morning in the rest of this service, the same way it's honored you as we've lifted up your name this morning. May you speak to each of us. Start with me, God, and every person here. Would you speak to our hearts right where we need to hear from you that every person here would at least take one step closer to you, at least one step closer. And God, I pray for some that'll be the first step of really knowing you, and for others, it'll just take them deeper. So we love you and we praise you, and we pray these things in that mighty name of Jesus and for your sake. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, what a blessing to be back with you. I told the first service, and I mean it. I talked with Ashley and the group here. I, I'm not even going to pray for Dave anymore, for Pastor Dave. How can you not preach after having worship like that? I mean, that's not fair. I don't always get good worship like this when I go places uh, to preach. And it's a blessing when you get to be a part of something like this. I told Ashley uh, after the first time, I just love your heart. Because, I, see, I don't want a concert I don't want somebody, hey, check this out, look what I can do, that kind of thing. No, I want somebody to take me to the throne room. I want somebody to take me into the throne room and let me climb up on Jesus' lap and and just go to the Father and just say, Daddy, I love you, love you, I need you, I trust you, and you guys are so blessed here. I just want you to know, I hope you understand, because see, I get to see churches all over the world, and so I get to see what's going on. Known Dave for about eight years now. You're also blessed to have the pastor you have. I hope you understand what you have with this guy. And I know that's not what he wanted me to do, but I'm telling you, it is a blessing when you've got people here that love Jesus and have a passion for their entire community, not just for, oh, we just try to reach a few people around the hill here. No. Reach anybody you possibly can, wherever they are. And that's, I love the the emphasis of this church in doing so. In fact, I love it so much. I told the first service, and I'll tell you the same thing. We really want to be adopted by you guys because we love this place. I've got two supporting churches. Peg and I have two supporting churches down in Bandon where she was raised. She was born and raised in Bandon. I spent my junior and senior years there in high school. And we got a couple of supporting churches there. But if I come to Oregon, this is where I'm coming. This is, this is where I want to be, and I would love to be a part. If, if we could have a church like this, we'd be thrilled to be a part of something like that. And now, no offense, but I just, uh, uh, about 15 minutes ago, tried to talk him into quitting here and coming to Pagosa Springs and starting a church there. Uh, you know, I know you don't mind if I do that. <laughs> He's not going. He kind of likes it here. He loves you guys, and he has just bragged on you that way. And Tim and Rhonda, they love you guys. It's just neat to see people that care about out their flock and really want to see you guys grow and be who God wants you to be. And that's what we're going to talk about even this morning with our time together. Before I do, I do want to introduce my wife to you because a lot of you didn't get a chance to meet her. Those that were the ladies that were a part of it, you got to hear just 
uh, how gifted she is. God uses her all over the world. She's traveling more than me now overseas. It's crazy. This year she's in Estonia next month. We're in Cuba together in February. She's in Romania in April, and she's in Tanzania in May. I mean, she's just all over the place speaking at women's events. Guys, she doesn't care a lick about speaking to you, but she wants to talk to those ladies. She loves her some ladies, and she wants to be able to talk about Jesus with them. So would you just give greetings this morning to my biblical babe right here? I'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about her later, and she is my biblical babe. She's amazing. She knows the word of God, and I just go to her and say, hey, babe, can you tell me, where does it say, oh, yeah, that would be in 1 Thessalonians, and she'll just tell you where it's at there, because she knows the word of God and is such a student of the word of God, so love having a partner in life that I chase to keep up after. Uh, I chase to stay with her, but men, let me tell you what your wives want. They want a leader. They want you to lead. My wife does not want to lead. She wants me to lead her, and she wants to be right here, right under my spiritual protection and authority, and we're together. We're a team. We work together. I chase to keep up with her, but she wants me to be the spiritual leader, and you need to step up. Men, we got to step up, and we got to start serving and loving Jesus as the leaders of our homes. That wasn't supposed to come out, but it did, and so I guess I'm taking that that came from the Holy Spirit telling me to tell you that. That didn't come in the first service there. We're going to talk this morning about how we can really be true followers of Jesus, followers of Christ. I love the fact Pastor Dave talks about that. Um, I, I got in trouble the first service, and so I'm going to clarify and make sure you understand. I've asked him and Kristen to come and visit us in Pagosa Springs. We live, uh, God may visit McMinnville, but he lives in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, <laughs> trust me. I mean, it is unbelievable where we live. And we want them to come for a few days, get away, and just be blessed and just be encouraged and get a, a, a little break. They've gone through an awful lot with their parents and, and with Kristen's health, health and everything else. So uh, I, I want them to be able to come and be a part of that. So we plan on being a blessing to them. And then if for some reason he gets there and just says, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been. Wonder if they'd be interested in starting a Nazarene church? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, we're not going to really do that. I won't pull them away, but we are loving the fact that we're getting to spend more time with them and enjoy them. I do want to challenge you, though, that I love the way he talks about followers of Christ. He doesn't talk about just Christians. We need to be careful. We can't even almost use that word anymore. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because a lot of people, everybody says they're a Christian. You know, oh, we're all, we all love Jesus, you know. But what's a true Christian is a follower of Christ, somebody that follows after him. I want to read something to you as we start out. This isn't on the screen that's going to come up and, and you'll, you'll be able to see it. But I want, to see, I want you to see what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. I love it when Jesus says things and rocks people's worlds. Where he says something and people go, he said what? he said that and people can't understand what's going on you know and they're going man that's crazy what he said and this is one of those that kind of rocked their worlds here matthew 16 24 and 25 then jesus said to the disciples if any of you wants to be my follower you must put aside your selfish ambition shoulder your cross and follow me if you try to keep your life for yourself you'll lose it but if you give up your life for me you'll find true life well, first of all, that's kind of like, okay, what in the world is he really talking about with all of that? But more than that, you know what really rocked their world? When he said, you got to shoulder your cross. There wasn't a person that heard him say that that, didn't, that went, what's he talking about, shoulder your cross? Oh, they knew exactly what he was talking about, shoulder your cross, because they saw it all around them. Rome had overthrown Israel. 
And so anywhere uh, around Israel, the Romans would take and crucify people as punishment. And that's what it meant to shoulder your cross. They'd make you carry that cross up to a point, and then they'd put it up somewhere, and you'd be hung on that cross. And it was a brutal, terrible death, but it was death. You didn't get hung for a while, and then they pulled you down and said, okay, I hope you learned your lesson. No, you died there. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, if you want to be a follower of mine, (laughs) boy, talk about a recruiting tool. You got to die. Come on, join me. We're going to all die together. That sounds like some cult to be saying that. But he wasn't saying die necessarily physically. What he was saying, you got to die to yourself, to what you want out of life, because it's going to be all about what God wants, not what you want. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Because, see, Jesus set the, the tone for that, even himself. Because he said, you got to shoulder your cross. Let's see, did he ever have to do something? Yeah. And he ended up showing us, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to die to me. Remember when he was in the garden and he's, and he's praying? He knows he is almighty God. He's all human, but he's all God too. So he knows exactly what he's getting ready to go through. He knows the pain. He knows how brutal it's going to be. He knows the scourging he's going to take before he gets on that cross. And he is so intensely concerned about that and scared to death humanly of what it's going to be like. He says, Father, if there's any way. Now, remember, he volunteered to come. He knew what he was going to go through, and he volunteered. He said, Daddy, I'll go, because they need a Savior. But he got down here, and all the, the human in him is saying, if there's any other way, I don't want to have to go through this. I'm so thankful he didn't quit there. And he went on, and he said, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he died again to himself in front of Almighty God as he's praying, asking him to give him a different way than what was there, and he ended up dying on a cross. That's what we've got to be willing to do is to die to our desires, to our ways, to what we want, and make it all about him. So this morning, I want us to look at how do we be true followers of Christ. To do so, I want us to look at some handles you can hold on to. I pray that at least one of these things that we're talking about this morning, you'll go, well, they was talking about how to be a follower of Christ, and I want things that you can say, okay, yeah, I remember that. This morning, I want you to remember, don't forget the four gets, okay? If you can remember one of these gets, I'd like you to remember all four of them, but at least one of them, maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you about and say, this one's for you. This is what I really want you to work on. But let's look at the four gets, things that we need if we're going to be a true follower of Christ. The first one I love talking about because I'm an evangelist, and I want to make sure people know Jesus and you know for sure you have a relationship with him. The first get is get alive. Get alive. Oh, we got to have life. If we don't have life, we don't have anything. We have nothing. I love the emphasis you have that everywhere you go around this place, there's no question about what your emphasis is, what your themes are around here. Number one, know God. If you don't know God, you've got nothing. If you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, you have nothing in your life. And we've got to get a life. We've got to make sure that we have that life in Jesus Christ. Oh, we've got to make sure. That's where we find our freedom, is in knowing God and having relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father because of what Jesus has given us. So I want us to look at that and think about what it's talking about. My wife knows all about this. This is, one of her, this is probably her life verse, favorite verse that she has, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In other words, you get new life. You get life from God. See, she understood what that was like because I moved from Arizona 
to Oregon after my sophomore year of high school and moved up from Prescott, Arizona, came up to, uh, to Bandon, Oregon. Where in the world was that? Bandon by the sea, you know? And I got up there, and my dad wanted to go up there because he liked fishing and everything, and so he, he moved us up there. And as soon as we got there, I had a good friend that was my kind of prayer partner and, a, and had challenged, challenged me. They're, they'd moved there just before us, so they were the ones that encouraged us to come to, to Bandon. And I saw this girl, and man, I mean hair to her waist, bell-bottoms. She was wearing her dad's navy bell-bottoms. Ooh, she was looking good. Man, that's 70s. I'm talking 70s. You can do that. You, know, you can rock you some bell-bottoms in the 70s. And so I saw her and I said, Paul, who is that? And he said, don't even think about it. He said, that's Peggy Ward. She's not a believer. She's messing with a rough crowd, doing some rough stuff and are making some choices in her life that aren't good and everything. And I was like, no, because see, I wouldn't date an unbeliever. I know what it tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. It says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does life have with darkness? What, what fellowship does life have with darkness? What does God have in common with the devil? I am not calling that girl the devil, but she was serving him at that point because if she wasn't a believer, I hate to tell you this, if you're not serving God, there's, only, there's two teams, you're on one of the two. And you either serve God or you're on the other team. You may say, oh, I don't want anything to do with the devil. If you're not serving God, that's where you are. That's what the Bible tells us. We're going to serve one of two masters. We're going to be one place or the other. And so I wouldn't date her, but my friend and I with three girls started a youth group. Three different churches represented from the five kids that started it. It took off and grew. Went from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 to 50 to 80. It was just growing. And one night, one of the girls, bless her heart, invited this girl to come, and she left that night saying, man, I don't know what these kids have, but whatever it is, I want that. I mean, she'd been in church her whole life. She'd been a part of it. She didn't know what it meant to know Christ. Two weeks later, one of the girls asked her, Peg, are you a Christian? She was offended. Well, of course I'm a Christian. Are you crazy? I go to church every Sunday. I believe in God, and I live in America. That's what she thought was a Christian. She didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with God. And when she had that explained to her, you've never seen anybody get so saved the way this girl got saved that night. And when she gave her life to Jesus, I mean, she grabbed her Bible. She, said, she always says she pulled her Bible out from under her bed, blew all the dust off of it, and started reading it. And she just couldn't get enough. And she just inhaled this thing. And she loves the Word of God. And guess who was there to offer to help and support any way he could from that point on? <laughs> 45 years last June 1st. We've been together because of that there. That's work. It was worthwhile. You got to wait on God's timing for that. But my challenge for you is you need to get alive. See, my, please don't miss this one. Don't miss this part of this and go, well, yeah, look at me. Bay, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. We're in church. Peg and I, since we got back from Africa in 1992, we were missionaries there for five years. God has blessed us with unbelievable opportunities to share Jesus. And it's been crazy how he's let us get in on so many salvation decisions. We just added up this last year over 26,000 salvation decisions. That's a great God that lets us get in on those kind of things. That's amazing that he lets us do that. But here's what I want you to hear. Of those 26,000 or so salvation decisions we've seen, I would say 75 to 80% of them were people inside the church. We were just in Uganda in June, and we went to Uganda, and we're doing a pastors and wives conference for big 
Pentecostal pastors and wise conference over there. I don't come from a Pentecostal background, but you know, I'll go anywhere. I've preached in Catholic, Pentecostal. I told somebody, I was telling Tim yesterday, I'll preach in a Mormon church if they'll let me in. I don't care. I'll preach anywhere they'll let me talk about Jesus. That doesn't bother me. So we're over there at this pastors and wives conference. There's 500 pastors and wives there. And we were supposed to be talking on marriage. The last message we were supposed to do, I told Peg, I think I'm supposed to share a salvation message. And she said, yeah, you need to go for it. And so I preached a salvation message. I thought maybe it's just that these people need to know how to present the gospel to their people because they come from all over Uganda. All these churches came from all over. And so I preached a, a, a gospel message, an evangelistic message. And at the end, I felt like God said, and I want you to give them an invitation and give them a chance to give their lives to me. And so I did, and I gave an invitation. I led them in prayer, and I said, now, none of this every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around type of thing. I just said, if you just gave your life to Jesus, and you prayed that prayer, when I just prayed that prayer with you, I want you to get your hand up in the air right now and acknowledge you've just given your life to Jesus. About 40 or 50 people gave their life to Jesus. These are pastors and wives. So what I'm telling you is, don't just assume because you go to church, I'm good, everything's fine. No. If you were here last time I was here, I shared the story about my brother, a year and a half older than me. And remember, I talked about him. He, we were raised in the most godly home you could ever find. It was amazing. And my dad was my spiritual mentor and he, a hero of my life. And by the time my brother was a senior in high school, he was leading worship for our church, an amazing guitarist. Then he went four years to the same Christian college that I went to. We got minors in Bible. We sang in a Christian singing group together. I heard him share his faith on how other people could give their lives to Jesus. And then he became our worship leader of our church in Colorado. And then at about age 30, when the Spirit of God was moving in our church and opening people's eyes to the truth of whether they really knew Jesus or not and had a relationship with him, I saw my brother stand in front of our entire congregation and say, it's a lie. It's a lie. I've got him here, but I've never put him here. And that night, my brother gave his life to Jesus. My brother will tell you I was lost and going straight to hell as the worship leader of my church. See, just because you're doing the things doesn't mean you're saved. James 2.19 says, you say you believe in one God, good for you. So do the demons, so much that they tremble at the very mention of God's name. Just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're saved. The devil believes in God. So we've got to realize there's a need for us to, if we're going to know God, we've got to get a life. We've got to get a new life in him. We've got to surrender everything. God, here you go. I give myself to you. I put all my trust, confidence in you. I can't pray enough, go to church enough, read my Bible enough, give enough, love enough, be kind enough. I can't do it, God. I need you to save me. Have you done that? Have you, first of all, surrendered your life to him? That's where it all starts. Secondly, then along with getting life, we got to get all we can. You got to get all you can. Now, we like that one because we say, yeah, Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the lid. We want to have it all underneath us. We're going to get everything we can out of this life. That's not what we're talking about, to get all we can out of life that way. We want to get all we can to be more like Jesus. How do we go about doing that? Oh, then we've got to be able to know what his playbook says, what his love letter to us says. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed. Why does it say a workman that need not be ashamed. He goes on and says, that rightly divides the word of God or the word of truth. Because we've got to study that if we're not going to be ashamed whenever we are asked a question. It tells us in 1 Peter three fifteen and 16, it says, set apart Christ as Lord 
and always be prepared to give an account of the hope that is within you, doing it with gentleness and fear. We got to always be ready to give an account of what, do you know what you believe and why you believe it? This is how we know where that's at. It tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Every bit of this is good. It's profitable, and we get good stuff from it. Are you spending time in it? Are you getting all you can? You know, I I talked with the men yesterday, and I said, if you're having a weekly quiet time, you're having a really weak quiet time. Because, see, we don't meet once a week with God, and you don't say, well, I went to church on Sunday. The rest of the week's mine. No, it's not. If you belong to God, if you truly have a new life in him, he owns every day, every hour, every second of every day. It's not just part of it. He owns your life because you gave your life to him. You surrendered to him and said, here, God, it's all yours. It's not me. It is you. And so we should spend time with That's not legalism. You may not have time always to do so, but you ought to be hungry to get into this because it helps you to be more like the master. We want to get all we can. I love what Philippians 4.8 says. Philippians 4.8 in the Phillips version says, Fill your minds with those things that are good and that deserve praise. Things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. That's what we're supposed to fill up with. Where are the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable things? Hello. Right here. This is it. This is where everything true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable is. It's not on your TV, trust me. Okay, that's not where you're going to see that. And it's not going to be on all the magazines that we check out all the time or anything else. We got to get into this so that we can fill up our minds with good stuff and have the truth that God's called us to. So we got to get alive. We got to get all we can. And then we got to get dirty. (laughs) Yeah, you got to get dirty. Oh, we got to. We've got to learn how to use this, what God's given us, and we've got to use it for his glory. The get all you can There's no question about it. We, first of all, have to know God, find freedom, and then you discover your purpose in that, in getting all you can, getting into the Word of God, and it shows us how to get dirty. It shows us how to serve and to be able to use this for other people. Uh, Jesus did a good job of showing us on that one again. Remember whenever he got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet, those stinky, dirty feet? You know what thing that blows me away? He washed Judas' feet too. And he knew what Judas was going to do to him. He knew he was going to betray him. He knew that he was going to turn against him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. And he still got down and loved him and washed his feet. We don't just wash the lovable people's feet. We don't just love on the people that we kind of like being around. It's kind of easy to do that one, you know? I mean, yeah, I just try to hang out with some people I'm friends with and do nice things for them. No, it's the people that aren't necessarily so lovable, aren't so lovely that we got to spend time with. Love your pastor's heart for that. He's not looking to just find the beautiful people of McMinnville. No, we got to find everybody. We got, I hope that those, this isn't a church that would ever have somebody come through those back doors and they would say, what are they doing here? Well, where else should they be? Isn't this where we want them? Don't we want anybody to come here? Come on and be a part of what's going on here. We want you to know this Jesus that we know the same way we know him. That's getting dirty. And we've got to figure out ways to get dirty, to do that. I, I, I speak at uh, a church back on the East Coast and really like this church. I've spoken there several times. Grace, uh, our, uh, Carlisle Evangelical Free Church is the name of the church. And they do something really cool. They have wild game banquets 
because in their area in Pennsylvania there, they have a lot of hunters, women and men that hunt, hunters and fishermen. And so they have two nights of banquet there, church about the same size as this. They have 500 each night that come because they invite people from all over to come in the area that's in the hunting and fishing. So they invite all their friends and say, man, you're not going to believe what we're going to have there. We'll have big mounts all over and somebody's going to do a, a, a seminar on turkey hunting and, and they'll do all this stuff and people talk about how to fish well and do all that. And then they, they serve venison meatloaf and it was good. I was like, venison meatloaf, I don't know. But I, I liked it because I'm an outdoorsman and I'm a hunter. So when they found out that I used to be an outfitter where I took people in the high country on pack trips, I said, would you be willing to come and speak for that? Because we know you're an evangelist too. I said, if I get to share Jesus, I'm there. And so I got there for, the, for this these two nights of that and then preached on their church the next day. And it was amazing. I watched men and women, they had probably a hundred men and women from the church that served for both of these nights, cooked all this food, worked hard. The kitchen was hot and they were doing all this and taking up beautiful desserts to everybody and just loving on them. And then they brought them in for me to speak to them. Oh man, they were, they'd been loved on. They'd been served. And by the time I got there, I got a chance to do the easy part and tell me that those 80 to 100 people that were serving weren't excited when by the second night we'd seen close to 100 people give their lives to Jesus. They were reaching their community by getting down and getting dirty. That's what we got to do. We got to figure out ways to get into the community and love on the community and serve them even if it costs getting dirty. My wife knows how to do that. She does it in a different way. She crochets. When we are home watching TV, she's crocheting. When we're on a trip, she's just crocheting. I mean, she's just a machine now. She's just done, done. I mean, it's crazy to see her do this. You know what she crochets? Little beanie caps for preemie babies in, in Africa. She has a ministry over there that they say, we can't put regular hats on them. They'll just come over the top of them, and they can't see, and they can't breathe, you know, and that hat goes over the top. So she makes preemie hats for the little preemie babies over there. She's done right at 500 of them now. That's what she does. She just sends over hats. Just, that's something she can do. Oh, she's, yeah, she's ministering. She's speaking, but she's doing that too. What can you do? You say, well, I don't crochet. Okay, that's fine. Can you cook? Can you mow a lawn? Can you cut some firewood for somebody? Can you fix a car? There's things we can all do to love on others. We stayed with Noel and Vicki Neeland while we were here. And man, Vicki took care of us. She's fixing meals for us. And we had quiche this morning. We got there on Thursday night. There was a strawberry rhubarb pie she just made. Do you have any idea what self-control I had? It had to have at 11 o'clock at night not to cut into that pie when we got inside there. They were already in bed. They said, just come on in and go to bed. We knew where we were going with it all. And I left the pie alone for about eight hours until the next morning. It got destroyed. I went all over that pie. But that's what she was doing. She was loving on us and just taking care of us. And you can do that. Can you make a plate of cookies and go to your next door neighbor and say, hey, if you ever need somebody to pray, I just want you to know I'm here. To, I'm praying for you. And if you have specifics, tell me what it is. I'll pray for you. I have never heard somebody say, how dare you pray for me? How dare you suggest that you pray? People, when they get desperate, they want prayer. And that's what we have an opportunity, just love on others around us. We've got to figure out how to get dirty. And I love the scripture that talks about that in Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3. 
through 7. It says, in Philippians 2, 3 through 7, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights. This is what I want. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, I'm nothing. I just want to be used by God however he wants to use me. That's what it's all about, is making it all about him, not about us. And then finally, along with get a life, get all you can, get dirty, get real. Get real. We've got to get real. We've got to be real. First of all, with God. First of all, we've got to be with, real with God. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Somebody comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of all? Jesus doesn't go, Oh, boy, there's a good one. Let's see, the greatest commandment of all. He doesn't think about anything else. He immediately quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, the Shema. That's where the Jewish people will say over and over, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and one gospel he adds, mind and strength. Love him with everything you've got inside of you. That's what we're called to do. That would be my challenge to you. Are you loving God with everything you've got inside of you? I had a pastor in Nova Scotia. I didn't share this with the first service, but I had a pastor in Nova Scotia that came up to me. I've spoken up there several times, spoken at New Brunswick Bible Institute and done some conferences there. And a pastor came up. I'd done a youth conference there. pastor came up. I hate it when people come up to me later, a year or two later, and say, remember me? <laughs> I don't remember my wife half the time in the morning when I wake up. I, I have a terrible memory. I just can't remember all that stuff. So I've just gotten, I used to go, well, yeah, help me out now. No, I just go, I'm sorry. I'm 65. I'm old and I don't remember. And so I don't do that. But this guy came up to me and he said, he walked up and he shook hands with me. And he said, hey, do you remember me? I did remember him. I said, you were the pastor of that youth group that came, that was a part of that youth conference I did up here. And he said, yeah. And he said, and you might remember, I had a bunch of my kids, because at that conference, a bunch of kids got saved. And he said, a bunch of my kids gave their lives to Jesus. And then he put his head down and he said, and it should have been me. And I said, really? Baptist pastor up there? I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you're not going to believe this. But I left going, what my kids just did, giving their lives to Jesus, I've never done that. I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I've never said, here you go, God. I give you my entire life. Here it is. I give it to you. And he said, I spent months struggling with that. And he said, can you believe it? I was willing to miss out on eternal life, knowing what I needed to do because of my pride in my life that would keep me from acknowledging that I didn't have relationship with Almighty God. And he said, until finally I said, God, I can't do this. This is crazy. I need you. And he said, hey, it's changed my life. It's changed my ministry. It's changed everything I'm a part of. He said, I can't tell you what this has meant to me because he got real with God. He finally did the same thing that my brother did when he gave his life to Christ that way. And finally, we had to be honest and say, it's a lie. I got him here, but I've never put him here. Oh, we got to get real with God. And then we have to get real with each other. Oh, this is so important, you guys, that we get real with each other too. And there's no way you're going to get real with everybody else in this setting. This is good for worship. Corporate worship is wonderful. My wife and I would be a part of this church in a heartbeat if we lived somewhere like this. This is where we go. 
But you got to have more than what this offers. There's got to be more to it than that. And what we need is a small group of people that will encourage us, that will hold us accountable, and that will come to us and say, hey, I'm with you on this. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hang in there. You can do this. So not only do we have to know God and find freedom, then we discover what our purpose is, and then we got to play a role in that as we get involved by participating with other people and loving together each other. I love what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says. It says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I've got horses and spurs. The reason you use horses is because they motivate the horse. It hurts the horse if you kick him with spurs. Sometimes you've got to motivate somebody that way. But you know what's amazing? All you've got to do is put the spurs on, and they normally, they, they're just to become the best horse in the world. Why? Because they know you'll use those spurs if you need to. And they'll, they'll just obey just because of that. We have to have people in our lives that will spur us the same way. Well, that doesn't happen in a big group like this, but when you're in a small group together and you're in a life group, that's when you get spurred. Because, and it's not that you go, ooh, I just want to go get spurred and hurt by it. No, you've got people in your life that you know will encourage you and be there for you. It says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue on all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, don't stop meeting together in groups that support and encourage each other. Don't quit coming to church, but don't miss out on life groups either. If you're not in a life group, if you're not in a freedom group, a growth group that is a shorter term thing that where you get to grow in that and it helps you walk through some areas of your life. And if you're not in a life group with some people that will support you, immediately start asking God to show you where you should be and know it's his will. I guarantee you it's his will, okay? You don't have to ask, God, is this your will? No, he wants you in a group with other people because that's how we push each other and encourage each other to be who God wants us to be. We've got to have that, you guys. Oh, please get involved. If you're not in one, I'm so thrilled. This church is so healthy. I found out your church has close to 60 groups right now. That's phenomenal. But you know what their goal is? 90. You know why? Because your church is just over 900. That means for every 10 people, they're in a group. That, you know, you've got 90 people. That covers the church. You get 90 groups like that, and you're all in a group. Every person in this church should be in a small group getting involved. I'm just telling you that because my wife and I are in a small group, and it's changed our whole idea of ministry when we're home. We love our small group. They're the ones we go to and ask for prayer. They're the ones that support us in what's going on in our day-to-day life. You need that. Every one of us has got to get involved in that. So we got to get a life. We've got to get all we can. We've got to get dirty. We've got to get real. And then I do have one more get i got to throw in. I know it was four gets, but I've got to have you, give you one more. Let's get going. You've got to get going. We've got to do it. You can't just hear this. It tells us in, in James, uh, in James 1.19, it says, don't just be hearers, or James 1.22, it says, uh, don't just be hearers of the word of God. Do it. So if there's something this morning that God's spoken to you about, that's what you want to jump on and say, okay, that's what I got to, uh, that's the area that I probably need to work on. Good. I don't know what that is, but the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, that's what you need. There's what you need in your life. Take that and run with it. So let's get going. When my dad was about to die of cancer, he was 67, big, strong man, 6'6", 235 pounds. He was my hero. I love my daddy. Called him daddy to the day he died. But my daddy was dying of lymphoma. He had two months. We didn't know, but he's going to die fast from that. And I went to him, I said, Daddy, I don't want to lose you. You're my hero, my mentor, you're everything. And, 
And he said, but babe, I'm going to be with Jesus. Don't take that from me. He knew where he was going. He was okay with it. He's still walking around going, shucks, cotton picker, look at that. <laughs> He's from Texas. And so that was just who he was. And he loves Jesus. And that's the way he finished his life. But at the end of his life, just before he died, he was growing so close to the Lord, there was like a glow on his face. It was weird. I went to my brother and I said, have you noticed anything about daddy? And he said, the glow on his face? And I said, yeah. And he said, I know, I've seen it too. He was, God was preparing him for where he was headed. And my dad came to me just at the end, just before he died. And he said, Bay, you know what? I think I can put the Christian life into two words. I went, two words? Are you kidding me? How could you do that? And he said, yeah. He said, you know that song we used to sing all the time? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. He said, Bay, that's the, that's the answer to the Christian life. Trust him. Know him, find freedom in him, and then obey him. Discover your purpose and play a role. You got to be involved. You got to get involved and start obeying what he's shown you to do. That's what God has called us to do. Trust him and obey him. Would you stand with me as we close? As we're closing this morning, I just want to challenge you with one thing. I don't know what God's spoken to you about. You know, that's the best thing about preaching. Once you realize that all you do is share truth, I have no responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's job in your life, to speak to you. But if God's spoken to you about something in particular and he's saying, you need to deal with that. You know you need to go follow through with that. You know that's something that needs to change. You need to get into the word more, whatever it might be, as far as get all you can. Or you need to be in a group that's doing more that way. Whatever it might be that God's speaking to you about, maybe it's just in knowing him and you've never truly surrendered your life to him, and you might be like that Nova Scotia pastor or my brother or like Peg was before she realized what it meant to know Christ. Maybe that's it. But here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. As we close, I love to challenge people to put their hands out in front of them because I think of it as everything I got in my life, God, here it is. Everything you've given me right here. See, the problem is we want to do this. I don't want to lose anything. Man, I've got to keep this in there. But see, God can't put anything into closed hands. But when we do this and we say, God, here it is. Here's everything I got. If you want to get something out of here, take it. You want to put something in? That's good too. I'll take whatever you got for me. I'll trust you with that. I want to challenge you this morning. If you would say, oh God, I want you to be Lord of my life in every area. I surrender it all to you. Maybe for some of you, it is surrendering this morning to him. Oh, what a great thing to do to say, here you go, God scares me to death to do this, but I give myself fully to you this morning. Or maybe it's just, God, there's some things I've been holding on to and haven't turned loose, and I want you to have everything, and I want to do it your way. If this morning you would be ready to say, God, all with you, anything you want, I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to challenge you to put those hands out, and then I want you to just close singing that chorus with me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Would you join me in that this morning? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Father God, you see each heart here this morning. You know if they meant that when they put their hands out there, and if they did, I pray right now, God, you'd wrap your arms around them, pull them in tight, give them a big old daddy hug. And let them know, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Oh, welcome to the family. Or maybe it's, oh, thank you for giving everything, including that area that you've kind of been holding on to. Whatever it is, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would keep our hands open saying, here you go, God, all for you, all done your way, whatever you want. I'm with you, God, surrender to you. Bless this church as they are a light on a hill for you. 
not just the church on a hill, but a lighthouse on a hill that shows people the way to the master. So we love you, God. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We praise you this morning. May we honor you in everything we do. And we pray these things all in the mighty name of Jesus and for your sake. Amen. Amen.